chapter here. So, um, all right, I'm just going to open in prayer. I'm a little scrambled, um, so as always. So we're just going to pray to the one who is never scrambled. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, thank you for this day. Thank you for your grace to us, Lord, and your wonderful love. Um, uh, thank you that you allow us as finite human beings, scrambled human beings, to share your word, um, that you've chosen to share your word with us, Lord, and that you've, um, you've opened your heart to us, Lord, and I, I just thank you for doing that for us and um, for providing a way that we can come to you boldly and that we, uh, we can worship you, and um, I thank you so much for that. Uh, and in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, so Job 38 is the chapter that I'm reading today. Um, they asked me for a title, and I said Job 38 because I didn't think of a creative title. I guess if if you want basically, a, a, you know, God's answer to Job is basically what this is. And this is this is I labeled this part one because I was going to tackle Job 38 to 42, and this is a common theme through this series that I've been oh yeah, I'm going to tackle these five, six chapters or whatever it is. And it turns out that there's so much in just one chapter or even just like three or four verses that I can't just kind of skim over that. And so this chapter is just amazing. Um, <clears throat> it, it's very, uh, very deep. There's a lot of deep questions in this chapter. And uh, we're going to dive into them. Um, so I'm, just, I'm actually going to read the chapter through completely with no comment, and then we'll go back. Very little comment, I'll say. And uh, we'll come back and go through it. So chapter 38, starting in verse 1. And I'm reading from the NLT. Um, I have kind of read it through different versions. I find this the easiest to understand. And uh, so we'll start right now. Verse 1, Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined the dim its dimensions and stretched, out the, uh, and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations, and who laid its cornerstone? <laughs> we just sang that. Uh, as the morning stars sang together, all the angels shouted for joy. Who kept the sea inside its boundaries and burst? Sorry. Uh, who kept the sea inside its boundaries and burst from the womb, as it, as it burst from the womb, and as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in uh, in thick darkness, for I locked it behind barren gates, limiting its shores, and I said, "This far." and no farther will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you ever made daylight to spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to the night's wickedness? Uh, as the light approaches, the earth takes shape like clay, pressed beneath the seal. Uh, it is robed in brilliant colors, the light disturbs the wicked and stops them, and stops the arm that is raised in violence. Have you explored the springs from which the seas come? 
Have you explored their depths? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you seen the gates of utter gloom? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about it if you know. Where does light come from? Where does darkness go? Can you take each to its home? Do you know how to get there? Uh, but of course you know all this. For you were born before it was all created. Uh, and you are so very experienced. Have you visited the storehouses with the snow, of the snow? Or seen the storehou- storehouses of hail? I have reserved them as weapons for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war. Where, where is the path to the source of light? Where is the home of the east wind? Who created a channel for the torrents of rain? Who laid the path for the lightning? Who makes the rain fall on barren land in a desert where, there, where no one lives? Who sends the rain to satisfy the, patch, the parched ground and make, up, uh, and, make up the tender gra- and make the tender grass spring up? Uh, does the rain have a father? Who gives birth to dew? Uh, who is the mother of the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from heaven? For the water turns the ice uh, turns to ice as hard as rock, and the surface of the water freezes. Can you direct the movement of the stars, binding uh, binding the cluster of the Pleiades, or loosening the cords of Orion? Can you direct the constellations to the seasons, or guide the bear with her cubs across the heavens? Do you know the laws of the universe? Can you use them to regulate the earth? Can you, sh- uh, can you shout to the clouds and make it rain? Can you make lightning appear and cause it to strike as you direct? Who gives, uh, who gives intuition to the heart and, who, and instructs the mind? Uh, who is wise enough to count all the clouds? Who can tilt the water jars of heaven when parched ground is dry and the soil is hardened into clods? Can you stock prey for a lioness and satisfy young, the young lion's appetites as they lie in their dens or crouch in the thicket? Who provides food for the ravens when their young cry out to God and wander about in hunger? So, chapter 38 is the first part of God's questions. He asks Job these questions. I'm actually going to give a little rundown for those of you who may not be familiar with Job. Job was a man, he was a righteous man, he prayed for his children, he was, uh, he prayed to God, he was, um, he was blameless as far as um, sin is concerned. Uh, Satan came to God and asked and presented Job and said, look at this guy, or God actually presented Job to him, I'm sorry. And he said, yeah, and Satan said, yes, I know, but he will curse you if you take these things away from him. So, Satan, so God permitted Satan to take away Job's health, his wealth, his family, all these things. Job then was going through tremendous suffering. And so I'm just going to, that's, that's a very brief suff, uh, summary of this chapter, of these chapters, this very long book. Job has a few friends who try to console him. They're not very good at it. Uh, he has one other friend who's um, a little better at it, we'll say. 
and uh, we get to hear. And Job has said a lot of things. He said a lot of things that are true. He said a lot of things that are assumptions, and he's, he's made some mistakes along the way. God comes in, and God is the last one to speak, and he is the one who corrects Job. So the first accusation, the, ac- the accusation that God lays before Job here, um, it says in verse 2 in the NLT, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Um, the original, or the, the ESV that I was reading from before as well, says, who, who is this who darkens counsel without knowledge? This basically just means speaking without knowing what you're talking about. And uh, accusing God when you have no idea what's actually going on. This is something that Job did. And I think the main offense on this is that it's, atta- it's an attack on the truth. Because it's speaking as though you're speaking the truth when you don't actually know the truth. Um, this is a very essential... This is, this is basically attack, an attack on God himself. An attack on truth is a, an attack on God himself. And we face this a lot in this day and age. There is a lot of attack on truth. There is, you know, my truth. There's your truth. Everyone has their own truth. They, they want to believe in their own truth, their own reality. They want to believe that um, a man can be a woman, a woman can be a man, and uh, things like that. There's lots of different things. They want to believe that it's okay to do certain things that are not okay to do. And I'm no different. I've never, I, ha, or I haven't been different. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not born from a different you know, humanity than these people. Um, I'm, uh, I'm someone who's a sinner. And I want to have my own truth a lot of the time. And, I mean, I'm raising two young, very young children. And the two of them, they want to have their own truth. And they want to behave in a certain way. They want to do things a certain way. And you can really see the nature of humanity when you have little children. Because it's just, they're born that way. It's, it's crazy. You can try as hard as you can to make them not born that way. I mean, they're, they're very cute, so it's you know, makes it a little easier, but, uh, <laughs> so, uh, this is, this is human nature. We want to have our own truth, and when we want to have our own truth, that it, in and of itself is sin. When we want to go our own way, we turn from God. This is what Isaiah 53 talks about. We have all, just like sheep, turned to our own way, and this is, a sin in and of itself, because we are not acknowledging God. We are not um, loving God explicitly with all our heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And that's, that's where humanity sits. We don't do that. And so, uh, this, is, so this is no different. This is a very, uh, it's a fundamental thing. It's, it's, it's the truth, the truth of God and his, his power, his word. So that's, that's the first thing. He says, who is this who darkens counsel without knowledge? Who questions my wisdom with such ignorant words, is what the NLT says. Um, Jesus came into the world to testify to the truth, to be a living testimony of God, of his Father. And so um, that's, that's what Jesus said when 
when Pontius Pilate asked why he came into the world, he said that. He didn't say to save people from their sins. He didn't say to, to die on a cross. These are all true. These are all things that he did come to earth to do. But his main objective is to testify to the truth, be a testimony, be an example of his father. And, to, and in order to do that, we have to be submissive. And that's what, that's what um, Jesus was. So that's the first little section, verse 2. Verse 3 is an interesting one. In, NLT, in the NLT, it says, Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Um, I like how, so there's a few different ways of saying this. Bracing yourself like a man. Gird up your loins is one of the versions that I read. Dress for action, which I think is my favorite one. Um, put on your hockey gear, bud, you know. <laughs> and why? Why does Job need to brace himself? Why does he need to gird up his loins? Why does he need to dress for action? Because what is God about to give him? He's about to give him his word which is a sharp two-edged sword. Job needs to be prepared for this, and as little as you can be prepared for this. God is about to come at Job with his words and set things straight. And this is, uh, this is very important for us. Uh, when we go out, we need to understand that we have a two-edged sword. We have God's word with us. We have the truth. It's more powerful than anything. Um, we also need to understand that God's word um, speaks against sin and speaks against sinners. And we need to understand that we're at his mercy. And so more on that later. We're going we're gonna to con- continue through. I don't know if anyone's ever watched the, the show Planet Earth. It's uh, yeah, basically like a narrated documentary of the earth, and it's, it's all in high definition and they sent helicopters to these really remote areas of the world, like the Bay of Fundy. <laughs> no, like anywhere. Actually, there is an episode about the Bay of Fundy. It's really neat. It's about the whales. But that's, that's just a little thing. This, this is just like watching planet Earth. There's so much here. It's from a perspective that obviously we don't really understand because it's from God's perspective. He, he's the one who brings it about. It's an even better perspective than a helicopter flying over the Sahara Desert. It's, it's God himself who created this, who knows this better than anybody. And he has just this infinite wisdom. So he's, he's showing this earth. This, it's, it's amazing just his, like, the poetry in this, the, um, just in, in and of itself, the writing is just amazing in here. Um, not just the writing, but the actual account that God, that God is giving here is just fantastic. But... That's not the most important part. That's not even an important part of this. The important part is the questions that God is asking. So we're going to continue here. The main thing that I noticed through this chapter is that none of these things that God mentions, technically they are, but none of them are like miracles, as we would see miracles. These things are all natural processes. This is a lion hunting for food for its children. It's the sun rising in the morning. It's the ocean and the boundaries of the ocean. It's, it's all these things are normal, natural processes. These are not anomalies. And I remember having a conversation with a guy on the street one time, and he's an atheist, 
and a very militant atheist. And he, he said, I've just never seen any evidence for a God. Why, why should I believe in God? And the correct answer is actually he's seen plenty of evidence for God. There, sometimes it's in the simplest things. Sometimes it's in the, the most easy to understand things the, that God is present in those things. It doesn't have to be spectacular miracles, as we call them. It, it can be simply the sun rising in the morning. Wow, the sun rises. Who does that? <laughs> you know, who can do that? And, you know, we talk about things like the human mind. God actually talks about the human mind here. Um, do we even understand that? I don't think humanity actually understands the human mind. I don't think we do. Um... It's funny, because we're using the human mind to try and understand the human mind. And that's just like, how do you do that? You're pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. <laughs> it's, it has to be this infinite God he, who, who understands everything and who created everything. So, that, that's something that stuck out to me a lot. And when you think about this in the context of the chapter, Job is questioning God related to suffering, relating to suffering. He, he's suffering, and he's questioning God, and he's accusing God with regard to his suffering. I'm suffering. Why does God allow this to happen? Why does God allow these things to happen? Why does he allow suffering? Why does he allow evil in the world? Um, so many people ask that question. I, I don't know how many people we've encountered on the street, and in my cabin as a counselor at camp, kids ask that question. I've had so many people ask that, and that's maybe the most common question we get as Christians from non-Christians. Why does God allow suffering? Why does he allow evil in the world? Job, the book of Job comes pretty close to answering that. It doesn't really answer it directly, but what it does is it shifts our focus into another question. Not about why does God allow suffering? Why does he allow evil? Why does God allow anything at all? That's what, that's what we're reading here. Verse 8 says, uh, who keeps the sea inside its boundaries and as it bursts forth from the womb? God chooses every day to set a boundary for the ocean. He chooses to do that every day. He does it actively. He's controlling the ocean every day. It says in verse 12, have you commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? This is God's command. This is God's purposeful, deliberate command. He's commanding the sun to rise in the morning. Uh, this is an everyday occurrence, something that we probably look at and we wake up and we say, oh yeah, there's the sun. Sometimes it's really beautiful and we take note of it, but other times we just wake up, oh, it's time to go to work. That happens because God chose to raise the sun today. Um, verse 22, all the way down, verse 22 have you visited the storehouses of snow or seen the storehouses of hail? I reserve them as weapons for, for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war. Um, this is speaking of the weather, God controlling the weather. Yesterday it was like 28 degrees and kind of humid. In Lawrencetown it was probably about 14 and foggy. And <laughs> um, so um, we went to, so, you know, we went outside yesterday. We were outside most of the day, and it's just beautiful out there. And uh, today, it's a little 
little darker, a little wetter, and a little colder. So God chooses every single day to control the weather. He chooses every moment. He stores up snow um, <laughs> for, the, for the future. Um, actually, I love snow because I have kids now, so it's great. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, we just take these things for granted a lot of times. God does this every day. He purposes to do this. So why is this significant? Why, why does this, you know, wh- where does this relate to what we're talking about here? Why does he allow me to exist at all? Why does he allow me to take my next breath? Why does he allow me to sin? Why did he allow sinners to literally kill him? And this is one of these questions that, there's, there's a lot of questions that the Bible has many answers for. There's a lot of questions that are hard to answer from Scripture. I think this one is actually a relatively easy question to answer from Scripture. It's because of God's mercy. And this is a testament, this whole book, Job, is a, is a testament to God's mercy. He is up in heaven, or he's in the whirlwind, it says at the beginning of this chapter. So he may have been in, that, in the whirlwind the whole time in, in Job's present. God is everywhere too. So. But he's there, and he's waiting patiently. He's listening to all of these people speak. He's listening to Job crying out. He's listening to his three friends completely butcher trying to comfort him. He's listening to Elihu, where Elihu is pretty good. He's, he's got it pretty good. But that's not, that's not God. Um, so God is sitting there, and he's listening the entire time. And there, Job is going through his, this hard time. And he comes out, and he speaks to Job, finally at the end. And this is also a mercy in and of itself, him giving us an answer, giving us his word. Um, these things are due to his mercy. So God has shown mercy to every single person on the planet. He's shown mercy to, tremendous mercy to all of us, to every single person in this room. I believe he's shown mercy to people who are um, not saved, people who are saved, because he's allowing them to live. He's allowing them to take another breath. He's giving them a chance. And I believe that there is a purpose for I'm not going to say the purpose because I don't know I don't know the mind of God. I don't want to darken counsel without knowledge. I don't want to speak out of turn here. But I do believe that one of the big reasons for humanity to exist is that God can put his mercy on display. He can actually show his mercy because we're sinners and we fall short of his glory. We fall short of him. So his, so he reveals his mercy by showing mercy to us as sinners. So I hate to break it to you at all, but we're the bad guy. That's the thing. Humans are the bad guy. We're the ones that God has shown mercy to. And not only mercy, but there's another one as well, and that's restoration um, or redemption. Uh, mercy is withholding Punishment from people who deserve punishment. Uh, redemption, so, you know, and, and mercy could be just delaying that, um, that punishment. Redemption is taking that punishment away, paying the price. And this is what he did. He did that on the cross. 
Um, so it's amazing God's word can really display the gospel it, it, through any chapter. You read Job 38 and it displays the gospel. God's mercy. This is the main reason why God has allowed this to happen. So why does God allow suffering? It's same reason he allows anything at all. He allows Job to suffer. Um, he allows Job to take another breath through his suffering. And this is merciful. God is showing Job. He's teaching him. He's giving us his word. He's giving us this account of how and, and educating us on being able to worship God and not speak out of turn and um, to be slow to speak. So I do want to share the gospel right now because I think that's an important part of this. God has shown his mercy, but the other reason why, uh, the other thing that I think I should mention is that God also shows his justice with humanity. Um, and he is a just God. He is, if you're a sinner, he's a scary God. He's a just God. And I believe that he has wrath stored up for people who do not surrender to him. Romans 1.8, it speaks against God's, it speaks, it speaks about God's wrath against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men. God commands us to love him with all our hearts, souls, minds, and strength. And this is what I mentioned at the beginning. We fall short of that. We don't live up to that. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That implies that the glory of God is the standard. That's it. If we don't hit that, then we fall short and we, we will be punished in our sins. And so people will say to me, well, then how do, we, how do we come before God? How do we, you know, who can actually, like nobody, nobody loves the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Nobody loves the Lord continuously every day, explicitly everything they do is dedicated to God. So, therefore, God has to, if, if God is gonna welcome anybody into heaven, he, he has mercy. He has, it, it has to be through his mercy, not through anything that we can do. Um, so God did that. He sent his son to this earth to die on a cross, uh, to raise, rise again, to conquer death, and we can surrender to God. That is the most important thing. Whoever shall call on the Lord, on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Uh, this is a very important truth. It's very simple. It's, it's a matter of surrendering to God repenting of your sins and um, I think it's very important it's just the it's the most important message um, this chapter it's amazing how God has this kind of sarcastic tone through this chapter to Job <laughs> and uh, it just shows how God takes his truth seriously he takes his word very seriously and he, he seems almost harsh to Job in a way, in some ways, in this, in this chapter. And I think it's important to realize the weight of what Job has done and his, and his um, you know, his mistake before God. That he, 
he did not, I'm not going to say mistake, I'm going to say sin. I'm going to say his sin before God. He accused God. And this is important for us to realize that we should not speak out of turn. And we should be very aware of God's truth. And he commands us to know his truth and to, to share it in love. And yeah, so I think with that, I'll close in prayer and then we'll sing. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth and for your, for your love and most of all, Lord, for your mercy. Uh, this impacts us tremendously, Lord. We can live, uh, not, just, not just live another day, Lord, but we know that through your son and through your mercy, we can live forever and uh, with you, Lord. And I pray that you would just um, help us to trust you fully, Lord. Help us to consider your truth, consider your word, and to not take on any other truths, Lord. Not to try to have our own truth um, or anything else, Lord. I just pray that you would help us, protect us from uh, the evil one and from our own ideas, Lord. And um, I just pray that you would help us going forward. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing Who Am I?